Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. First Baptist Church, it's good to see everyone this morning. Um, as you can tell, Pastor Tyler's not here this morning. I am Shane Bingham. I am the student pastor here at First Baptist Church. For all of you who may not have been here before, but Pastor Tyler is off on drill this weekend, so pray for his safety on his, on his travels home this evening. If you will, if everybody will stand with us, stand at this time and say hello to your neighbor and just tell him you're glad to see him this morning. Well, it's good to see everyone so talkative and, and so friendly this morning. <clears throat> you all are the epitome of what church is supposed to be. You're supposed to come into church. You're supposed to be happy, glad to see each other. What a welcoming sight and welcoming faces. Uh, we're truly, truly blessed here at First Baptist Church. And again, it's good to see everyone this morning. pray everyone's having a, a wonderful week. I know there's been a lot going on in our community and in our town. Um, there's a lot of things that we need to keep in prayer. A lot of people we need to keep in prayer. A lot of people close to us that, that suffer each and every day of, of afflictions that we don't even understand, that we don't even know, we don't even acknowledge, we don't even know the things that they're going through. But, but there's a lot, a lot of things that are happening. So we need to keep those in mind and keep those in our hearts. 
as we continue throughout the week. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're one who's carrying things with you. Maybe you brought those in here this morning and, and you just don't know what else to do. You don't know where else to turn or where else to go with it. Well, guess what? You're in exactly the right place. You're exactly where you should be. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Throughout the year, we, Pastor Tyler's been preaching through the Bible, and he's done such a wonderful job. And it, it, it amazes me in the Bible. The Bible is such an amazing book. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire book has one thing that we can point back to, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other, no other book in the history of the world that has ever been written or ever will be written or ever been discovered that is like the Holy Bible. Because you can go all the way from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation to the last words in it, and it, everything points back to Jesus. And I am a big, big uh, proponent of that Jesus was never a contingency plan. He was always the plan. He was always the purpose. He was always the reason. People want to know, well, what's the meaning to life, Pastor? What is the whole meaning to this thing? Well, it's Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. And our, our youth will tell you that when they don't know the answer to any other question, one acceptable answer over it one way is Jesus. And I, I can't tell you that's wrong. It doesn't matter if it's two plus two or, or one plus one. If they tell me it's Jesus, then they're correct. Because the answer is always Jesus. And as we go through the Bible, we continue to see the groundwork laid. Here in the Old Testament, uh, one of the things I learned at Clear Creek was how in the world can the Old Testament have anything about Jesus in it? We're talking about thousands and thousands of years before Jesus Christ. We know the prophets, we know the prophecies, but how in the world can they have anything about Jesus in them? But again, we see the foundation being laid. We see all the groundwork. And right now, where we're at in First Chronicles chapter 19, we see King David. We see King David finally take the throne. He's finally took his rightful place as king of Israel. Saul has died at this point. And, and there's a, a, a new regime. There's, a, there's a, new, a, a new excitement in the country, in the area. Because David is now king. Again, we see Jesus. If you know anything about the prophecies and you know anything about the New Testament, you know that the, that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world would come through the house of David. So here we are again, everything pointing back to Jesus. And just to give a little bit of background where we are here in the book of Chronicles. So we look at the book of Chronicles, and I'll tell you, sometimes it can be tough to read through. We're in our reading plan right now in our D groups, and there, there's some bu books that are easier than others to read through. But I love the book of Chronicles because it's like a history book. And I love history. I love everything about history. I love learning about the past because I, I really believe to, to move to the future, you have to know what happened in the past. And here we are in Chronicles, and again, David is taking his rightful place as king of Israel, and we think all is going to be wonderful and all is going to be great, but there's something we need to remember about David. David is not exactly a man of peace. We just read not long ago about him taking, taking down a, a giant. We read about him out in the fields protecting these sheep and protecting these livestock. His persona, his personality is not necessarily one of peace which is ultimately what keeps him from being able to build the temple. It's because David is a man of war, and that's who God has called him to be. And here in this instance, here in Chronicles 19, we start to see some of, of, of David's campaigns, where he really moves from a king to a general. We see him as a soldier, as a warrior, as he goes out and he fights these fights for God. 
But David, like the rest of us, David has some faults. And we read later on, David uh, commits some sins that, that keeps him from being exactly what God needs him to be. But he's a man just like me and you. And David, again, being, being a man of war and a man who, who likes going out and fighting, he's just a real man's man. He likes these things. David sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to change. And he's going to try something just a little bit different that is not necessarily David-like. So a little bit of history about what's happening here at this instant is we're dealing with the Ammonites. And the Ammonites, they're, they're descendants of Lot. And if you know anything about Lot, Lot's, Lot had some issues. And the Bible calls him a righteous man, but again, it doesn't separate him from his sin. And later on in the story, we know that, that Lot has an ancestry relationship with his daughters that God does not, he does not shine nicely on. And this is where the Ammonites derive from, is from this lineage of Lot and his, and his daughters. So these people, they, they become pagan. They become of the world. They, they push God to the side. They don't, they don't believe in gods. Uh, they, they don't believe in one God. They don't believe in the true God. They believe in all these rituals and all these spiritual things. Does that sound familiar? They believe in all these spiritual things. And they even become, they, they, they become very, very brutal people. At one point in time, it's recorded that the Ammonites, they actually, they actually remove children from their mother's wombs before it's time. Again, does that sound familiar? Does it sound familiar to the day and time that we live in right now? They believed in sexual immorality. They believed in human sacrificing. And again, they believed in many rituals. They had historically been an adversary of Israel. They'd always been at conflict. One of, one of Saul's biggest enemies was the Ammonite people. And sometimes we, we think that we can make allies out of a common enemy. Because we know what Saul was pursuing and what he was doing with David. He wanted to kill David. He wanted him out of the picture. He was jealous. So sometimes, sometimes we feel like common enemies make allies. So David, at this point, he's, he's taking the throne, and he thinks he's going to reach out to the Ammonite king, the new Ammonite king. You see, the old one has passed away, and David feels like he might owe him something. The Bible's not really clear and specific of exactly what had happened, but David feels like he owes him for something that he had done. Now, most commentators think that at some point in time when David was running from Saul, that they might have, might have gave some kind of refuge the Ammonites made a, gave some kind of refuge to David and gave him sanctuary. But for whatever reason, David felt like he should put out a, a peace treaty. He should, a, a, a limb of hope, some way to connect this bridge. Maybe they don't have to be enemies anymore. But you see, it's not up to David. It's not up to David because these Ammonites, they, they aren't believers of God. They don't practice godly things. They aren't righteous people. They aren't good people. So we're going to read about that today, and we're going to read about the mistake of sometimes when we try to make friends of our enemy. And I think we're all guilty of that. I think we're all guilty of making friends with our enemy. We look at our scripture here today. Again, it's in 1 Chronicles chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. 
1 Chronicles 19, 1 through 13 says, Sometime later, King Nahash of the Ammonites died, and his son, his son became king in his place. And then David said, I'll show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to console him concerning his father. However, when David... However, when David's emissaries arrived in the land of the Ammonites to console him, the Ammonite leaders, they said to Hanan, just because David has sent men with condolences for you, do you really believe he's showing respect for your father? Instead, haven't his emissaries come in order to scout out, overthrow, and spy on the land? So Hanan took David's emissaries, shaved them, cut their clothes in half at the hips, and sent them away. And it was reported to David about his men, so he sent messengers to meet them. Since the men were deeply humiliated, the king said, Stay in Jericho until your beards grow back, and then return. And when the Ammonites realized they had, they had made themselves repulsive to David, Hanan and the Ammonites sent 38 tons of silver to hire chariots and horsemen. From the Aram Naharim, Aram Mecca and Zobah. Now, y'all forgive me on those. They hired 32,000 chariots and the king of Mecca and his army, who came and camped near Mediba. The Ammonites also came together from the cities for the battle. And David heard about this and sent Joab and all the elite troops. The Ammonites marched out and lined up a battle formation at the entrance of the city, while the kings who had come were in the field by themselves. And when Joab saw that there was a battle, battle line in front of him and another behind him, he chose some of Israel's finest young men and lined up in formation to engage their Arameans. He replaced the rest of the forces under the command of his brother Abishai, and they lined up in formation to engage the Ammonites. And if the Arameans are too strong for me, Joab said, then you'll be my help. However, if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll help you. Be strong. Let's prove ourselves strong for our people and for the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for another, another beautiful day that you have provided us. God, I just ask that your word pierce our hearts, that it change us forever, God. As we learn today, Lord, about a hard subject, a subject that none of us want to talk about, none of us want to admit to, none of us want to, to realize that it is a, a real thing in our lives, God, as we talk about sin, I pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and clear our minds. You humble us, God, so that your message can speak the truth. God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, David's, uh, David's not one to back away from the battle. David's one who, who goes looking for the fight. But David, at this point, he, he's done something that's out of character. And he reaches to make peace with this king that he knows he probably shouldn't be making peace with. He knows he shouldn't be hanging out with him. He knows what these people have done historically and continue to do. He knows what they have done. But David makes a decision. And he makes a decision that he's going to have to commit to. 
I think that speaks to all of us this morning. I, I was praying this week about, about this scripture, and it made me think about when I was a young boy. And growing up, I wasn't a fighter. I didn't fight. I probably started a lot of fights, but I wasn't a fighter. I wasn't the one to, to stand toe-to-toe with anybody. First of all, I wasn't very big. Wasn't very big, uh, but I was fast. So I could start the fight, and then I could leave. And then somebody else would have to take care of it. But I remember this one instance. One instance, I, I was probably 12, 13 years old, and it, it was kind of getting summertime, and we were... Uh, we, we were at school, and I went to, and I'm going to age myself for a second, but I went to the old Boone School, Boone Elementary. And we were out in the field, and we were playing, and we were playing uh, two-hand touch football. Now, the rules were very clear that it was two-hand touch. We weren't playing tackle. It was a little bit muddy outside. So we were playing two-hand touch football, and that was made very clear. I wanted you to understand that to everyone, even the guy I'm getting ready to talk about. He knew we were playing two-hand touch football. Well, for some reason that day, my mom dressed me up in some brand new khakis. Brand new khakis. I don't know why you'd ever put khakis on a 13-year-old boy and expect them to be clean, but she did. So we were out there in the field, and we were playing two-hand touch, mind you. Two-hand touch football. Easy touch. Me and one of my best friends, we got put on the opposite teams. Now, my, one, my friend, he was, uh, when he was 13, he was probably 6'2". Um, Way outgrown himself. He was way ahead of schedule. Had a huge heart, though. Huge heart. He wouldn't hurt her to fly. We got on opposite teams, and that kind of upset both of us anyway. I don't know why we took it out on each other, but we did. And I remember catching that first pass and feeling a, a shove in my back. And it wasn't a touch. Again, mind you, we're playing two-hand touch. It was a shove, and it was my buddy. And he just took out all of his might on this little guy, because he's a lot bigger than me, and just shoved me as hard as he could. And the shove really didn't upset me. You know what upset me? Is when my knees hit the ground, and I had mud and grass stain all over those khakis. I wasn't afraid of him. I was afraid of my mom when I got home. Because I'm pretty sure she had told me, because it had rained the night before, do not be playing football outside. Mom, it's two-hand touch. Well, of course, she knew what was going to happen. So I remember my knees hitting the ground and just fury coming over me, over this little guy that probably weighed 75 pounds at 13 years old. Just fury all over me. Maybe it was the redhead in me. I don't know what it was. But I stood up, and as soon as I stood up, I don't know what happened with my body, but my hand came back. And it just kept coming back. And as, as it was going forward, my mind was telling me, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> and I ended up hitting my best friend right in the nose. And I hit him pretty hard, too. And the reason, and I, the reason I know that is because I've seen tears come to his eyes. Not because he was crying. Because you, if you've ever been hit in the nose, you know, if you get hit good enough, it's, it's going to bring some tears. And I remember as it was making the impact, I thought, this is a terrible idea. But I'd already committed. There was no turning back at this point. There was no saying I'm sorry. There's no, no regrets. I had fully committed to this. And as I, as I landed that punch and I looked at him, and I just seen him change in, into the Hulk, and he was just getting ready to Hulk smash me, 
I thought, Lord, and I didn't even go to church. I said, Lord, somebody's going to have to do something. So I just closed my eyes because I knew what was coming because I'd fully committed, fully committed, because he deserved it. He put grass stain on my new pants. He deserved getting punched. So he come back with his fist to hit me, and I was praying to, to anything or anybody that would listen. The punch never landed. And I looked, and one of our older teachers, wonderful, wonderful lady, had a hold of his arm as he was trying to hit me. The whole point of this, though, is that I committed to something that I was going to have to see through. And the only, only, the only thing that was going to save me was divine intervention at that point in time. Because if he had hit me, it would, have, it, would have been, it would have been bad. I would have looked just like that. But we do that, don't we? We commit to things sometimes, and then we wonder why things happen. So David made a commitment here that he was going to send his people out and he was going to try to make a treaty with the Ammonites. Even though he knew he shouldn't do, just like the punch I threw, I knew I shouldn't throw it. David knew he shouldn't be doing what he was doing. But he had already committed to it. He had already committed to befriending the enemy. He had already committed to bringing sin into his life because that's all that they were, were sinful people. We commit to that sometimes, and then we wonder, how did this happen? Or how do I get out of it? You see, once we commit to sin, once we commit to that sin, you must commit to fight. You must be ready to fight, because once you step across that line, the battle is on. You see, we, we can't make the enemy a friend. We can't make allies out of them. And the big enemy that we're going to talk about today is sin. And really, sin is just a tool of the enemy. That's all it is, is a tool. It's something that the enemy uses against us. Really, if you think about it, when we befriend the enemy and we allow sin into our life, it's kind of like giving a thief your car keys and saying, here, hang on to these for a little while. And then we come back and our garage is empty and we say, what in the world happened? That's how we look at sin in our life. Sometimes we think, how in the world did I get here? How in the world is my, my life turned upside down? How have I lost all these things? How have I corrupted all these relationships? It's because we try to make friends with the enemy. We try to compromise. First point I want to look at this morning is that we got to be ready for the fight. Because as the Bible tells us, we're all sinners. We're born sinners. It's in our nature. Adam and Eve tells us in Genesis of what happened. Once sin came into the world, we are, we are all subject to it. There's no getting out of it. It doesn't matter how good you are or good you want to be or good you think you are. We are all sinners. We need to understand that once that sin comes into our life, the fight is on. I tell our kids all the time, once you accept Christ into your life, you have picked the fight with the biggest, baddest bully in the room. Because he is going to stop at nothing to pursue you, to corrupt you, to pull you away from God. You see, your salvation is secure, but your walk is not. We are looked at each and every day about the things we do. Everybody wants to point at you Christians. The world is constantly pointing its fingers at us. 
constantly waiting for us to fall, constantly waiting for us to stumble. And you know what we do? We help them along. We help them along because we, we want to flirt with this. We want to invite this sin into our lives. We want to become friends with it. Just like David did with the Ammonites. You see, David knew who they were and what they were about, yet he thought he could control the narrative. How many of us this morning think that we can control our sin? That it's just a little bit of sin. It's not as much as my neighbor's, and I think that I can control it just enough that nobody's ever going to find out about it. And I can keep it on the back burner, and I can put up this, this facade, and I can create this, this whole drama and narrative that everybody will just look over. And they'll think that I'm this good Christian guy, and they'll think that I'm good, this good Christian father, when in reality, when in reality, I've invited this into our lives. We invite these things. We allow it to happen. And David, just like me and you, thought he could control this narrative. He thought he could control the new king because his father had reached out a, a, a peace treaty to him, an olive branch. So David thought that he could put it on his shoulders and he could change them. A little story about the other day. I'm going to tell this on myself. Uh, I was out working in the yard, piled up a bunch of brush. These windstorms have came through, and we live kind of back in the woods a little bit, and there's just brush and limbs and everything all over the yard. So before you can mow, or you're supposed to, you're supposed to pick these limbs up, right? Um, so I'm out in the yard, and I'm picking all this up, and I make a brush pile, and they have a, a no-burn ban going at this time. That don't apply to me, right? Live on a farm out in the country. That don't apply to me. I've burned a thousand brush piles. That don't apply to me. So I get out there and I think that I'm going to burn this brush pile. And it's just a little one. And I can control it. Done this a thousand times. I can, I can control this. Even though I know I shouldn't. Even though I, I know it's prohibited. I know, I know best. So I start this little fire. Everything's going good. Perfect, right? Fire's getting pretty hot, getting all my brush cleaned up. And all of a sudden, the wind comes through. And it takes a couple, of, a couple of those little ambers, and I look, and there's little fires starting around me. And I thought, well, I can control this too. So I'm going over and stomping it out, getting this one stomped out, and look, there's another one starting, get it stomped out. I'm not panicking yet. So I get them all stomped out, and I thought, man, I, I averted a crisis. And I turn around and look, and there's a tree on fire. Look, church, I'm talking about a tree, full-size tree on fire. And I said, well, I'm going to have to call in somebody else because this is above, above what I can control. It had got out of control. So I called Jamie, and I was like, look, this isn't a drill. I need the water hose now. And I love my wife, but sometimes she's not the most urgent. And I'm like, but I didn't give her a chance. I didn't give her a chance. I told her, I was like, look, you don't understand. It's like before you put your clothes on and you fix your hair and all this stuff, I need a water hose now. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'll be right out there. It's like, Jamie, you're not, you're not understanding. There is a forest fire behind me. I need you now. 
So here come Jamie and the girls. They come out with the water hose and get it across the creek. Luckily, I had enough water hose to get over there to me, and uh, we, we put out the fire. But isn't that just like us to think we can control things? Things that we're not supposed to do, things that we're not, we're, we're prohibited, that everybody tells us it's a bad idea and we shouldn't do it. We tend, to, we tend to take it on our own shoulders. I know best. I can do it. And David was doing the same thing. David had, had been a wonderful diplomat. He had been a, a, a loved figure here in Israel. And he thought that if anyone can make this peace happen, it was him. But David went about it the wrong way. David was putting all of this on his shoulders. He was trying to control things that he was not capable of controlling. You see, these people were not his ally. No matter how much they had helped him uh, shy away from Saul, they weren't doing it because they liked David. They were doing it because they didn't like Saul. That's the reason that they were doing this thing. So David misinterpreted their kindness, and it showed his weakness. You see, we must be able to identify sin in our life in order to deal with it. We can brush it to the side, we can hide it, we can put it in our closet, we can give it to our neighbor, but until we identify it as our sin and we take some ownership of it, it can't be dealt with. It can't be dealt with until you say, you know what, it's me. It's me, it's not my neighbor, it's not my friend, it's not my wife, it's not the drugs, it's not the addictions, it's me. I'm the one who controls this narrative, and I'm the one who is going to have to identify the things that are leading me down this path. And if we don't do that, we start to look around us, and there's small fires everywhere. We don't have big sin in our life. Well, pastor, I'm not an adulterer. Pastor, I'm not a thief. Pastor, I don't do all those things that you were up there talking about. But if you start looking at your life, you've got a bunch of little fires you got little fires all around you that if you're not careful, they're going to get out of control. And before you know it, you're standing in the middle of a forest fire with no way out. And it's all because you have created this yourself. Because you failed to say, hey, that is on fire. And you just went in the house and sat down on the couch. And then wondered why your, your property got burned up. So we have to identify these sins in our life. We have to take ownership of it. We have to accept the fact that, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner standing right here before you. You are a sinner sitting in the pews, and we have some wonderful people out here. Wonderful people in our church, in our congregation, but they are nothing more than sinners. Sinners needing saved by grace. But look, I can't save you. This church can't save you. You can't save you. There's only one that can save you. It's only one in Jesus Christ that can save you. And until you know that you're a sinner, you're not going to call upon his name. So we must identify. We must identify these sins in our life. And then we see David go on and he does something else. In verses 6 through 8, we see David repent. We see him repent. He sends these messengers to the Ammonites and he, he's trying to, trying to make peace. And then his, Ammonite, or his, his messengers, they, they shave them. Now, in this culture, for your beard and your head to be shaved, it, it was a great disgrace. So they shave their heads and their beards. It says half of their bodies, and they take their clothes off from the waist down. Now, that's pretty humiliating. 
That's pretty humiliating to send some grown men back home with half of their clothes and their heads and beards shaven. So David, at this point in time, he realizes he made a mistake. He made a mistake by trying to dance with the devil. He made a mistake by inviting the enemy into his life. So David has to take ownership. David has to repent. And David sends these men to Jericho in order that they, they can be renewed, so that they can be restored, so they can get some of their dignity back. And I told you all before, David's a, a man of war. So the Ammonites, they, they drew a line in the sand. No longer are we dealing with David who's wanting peace and love and harmony. We're dealing with David that you just, you just messed with the wrong crew. You just messed with his men. And what, what's even worse sometimes are those self-inflicted wounds. Those self-inflicted wounds that, that affect other people. That you just keep... I, I hear this all the time. Well, pastor, everything that I do, I do to myself. It doesn't hurt anyone else. Everything I do, I do to myself. Well, that's just not true. I've seen too many families, seen too many children have to, have to walk through the repercussions of what their parents' decisions were. I've seen, seen that happen way too many times. I've seen too many churches be split because decisions of the leaders. So the things that you do, guess what? It might not be fair, but it does affect others. It does affect others. And David's seen that. He's seen what he had decided to do. It affected these men. And David took ownership. And he said, not only are you going to be restored, I'm going to restore I'm going to restore God's name in this kingdom. We must repent as David did. He had to right his wrong. We have to understand that our sin doesn't just affect us. Like the Ammonites, we have to draw a line in the sand. We have to choose what is right and wrong. And I know that's not a very popular thing this day and time. Everybody has their truth. Everybody has their identity. Everybody has their reasons. Everybody has their faith and their spirit. But us believers in Jesus Christ and the one true God, we have, to, we have to put a line in the sand. Now, Jesus said, love your enemies. But to love your enemies, they need to know the truth. They need to know the truth that the only way through salvation is through repentance in your heart. Of ownership of your sin and understanding that you are not the greatest thing to ever walk this earth. Humility is a lost trait in our civilization. Understanding that church is not about me. Preaching is not about me. Ministry is not about me. This world is not about me. It's about my Savior, Jesus Christ, that died for me. We have to repent. We have to turn from this. It's time, church, that we put a line in the sand. And we say this is where we are going to stand. We're not going to reach out and compromise. This is where we stand under our holy God. We will not turn away. And that's exactly what David did. He said, right here is where we're going to stand. I made a mistake. I'm owning my sins. I'm repenting. I'm turning. I'm becoming new. And this is how we're going to move forward. Again, David is a, a, a man of war. He's a man of conflict. He likes that stuff. He's good at it. He's a conqueror. And anytime we get picked on, we want to run back and we want to fight back. That's our instinct. Jesus tells us to do something a little different, though. Jesus tells us to do something a little different. We see here in verses 9 through 13 that we must concede. 
We must concede the fight. Now, I know, how in the world can you fight a battle, pastor, if you're conceding? If you're giving up? If you're quitting? If you're stopping? If you're passing it on, how in the world can you win this battle? Because it is not my battle. It is not my battle to fight. Jesus said it was his battle and that the battle was already won. So we have to concede it all over to him. We have to get our hands out of the, out of the cookie jar. We have to quit and we have to stop and we have to step back. And we have to concede it to him. The Ammonites, they gathered armies from all around. All other nations came to join them to fight against David and Israel. This didn't worry David one bit. Because David had God on his side. David had seen what God could do. David had witnessed what God could do with a little shepherd boy out in the field. So this didn't worry him one bit. David invited the fight. We must recognize this morning that the enemy doesn't fight alone. They gather. They reach. They pull in. They draw in. The enemy will always find other allies in your enemy. The things that, that you fight with constantly each and every day, your weaknesses, your addictions, your, your tendency, that is exactly where the enemy will fight. It will consume everything around you. It will turn your world upside down. It will change your whole perspective on life. That's how the enemy works. It'll turn your family against you. It'll turn your loved ones against you. It'll turn your church against you. It'll turn your community against you. Everything that the enemy can do, it will draw in and it will do. And the tool that it uses is sin. Sin is what the enemy uses. It doesn't fight alone. And sin is this tool of the enemy. I know this isn't going to be very pleasant to hear this morning, but I want you all to know that if you are here and you are, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that the enemy hates you. The enemy hates you. Now, how can you use that word hate in the pulpit, pastor? Because Satan hates you. He wants nothing good for you. He doesn't want you to prosper. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to tell others about Jesus. He hates you. And do you know why he hates you this morning? Because God chose you. He chose you. God chose you over everything else. Over, over all the principles, over all the, all the powers of the world, He chose you. All this sin that we bring in our life, all this dancing we do with the enemy, all these frenemies that we make, God still chose you. He chose you over Him. He's pursuing you. He's loving you. He's constantly drawing you closer. And the enemy... The enemy is so jealous and so hateful. The enemy doesn't want anything good for you. We must concede that the battle is too big for us to fight. We cannot fight this battle alone. Can't put these fires out by ourselves. Because once we put one fire out, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be another one occur. And it's going to be a continuous cycle until our lives are dead and gone and then there's nothing left of us but burnt rubble. So we must concede it all over to God and give it to Him. Allow Him to be the God that He promises He is, that He shows us each and every day. You can't fight addiction by yourself. Give it to God. You can't fight adultery by yourself. Give it to God. You can't fight this world by yourself. 
Give it to God. It's hard. It's tough. It's not always roses and rainbows. Why do we continue to go through it? Why do we continue to pursue it? Why do we continue to live through it? I think they sung about it earlier. Because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. Not because Shane lives, not because Pastor Tyler lives, but because he lives. Because Jesus lives, we can face all these things. But we have to start becoming, we have to start becoming the, the meek. We have to start becoming the humble. We have to recognize these sins. We have to repent from these sins and we have to concede it over to God and pray that he takes it from us. If y'all will, stand with me at this time. As we get a moment of invitation, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, we can't fight this battle alone. We can't fight sin by ourselves, God. It's too great. It has a hold of us, Lord. God, Jesus came and he defeated. He defeated death and the grave and hell, God. He defeated all sin that could ever provoke us. And I just pray, Lord, that if anyone here today doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, if they've not conceded to him this battle that they cannot fight on their own, I just pray, God, that they do, that they find it in their heart, that you give them courage and strength, God, that you love them, that you show them grace, that these fires are going to continue to come up in their lives, God, but you are the fireman. God, again, please move today. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open. If you need to make a decision today, today's the day. Please don't put it off. If you haven't conceded this fight, if you haven't conceded it to God, don't walk out these doors with it. Do not walk out these doors with it. Now, it's going to take some things on your behalf. It's going to take some doing from you. But God says if, if you take one step, he'll bring you the rest of the way. Sing with us at this time. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.